You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Sluts and Scholars. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars, where we talk smart and fuck smarter. I'm Nicoletta, and I'm a marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And I'm Simone, Nicoletta's friend who likes to talk about fucking, and I'm also a law student. This week, we are joined by Barbara Corellis. She's the founder of Urban Tantra, which is a hot and healing approach to sexuality that adapts and blends a wide variety of sacred sexuality practices from Tantra to BDSM. She is the author of Urban Tantra, Sacred Sex for the 21st Century, which is now in its second edition. Also, Ecstasy is Necessary, A Practical Guide to Sex, Relationships, and oh, so much more. And Luxurious Loving. She was named the best tantric sex seminar leader in New York City by Time Out and was recently presented with a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Sexual Freedom Awards in London. She's a proud graduate of the Coney Island Sideshow School with a double major in fire eating and snake handling. Whoa! (laughs) Simone, can I just take you around the world with me and you can just introduce me anywhere I happen to be? (laughs) Oh my gosh, that would kind of be a dream. I mean, I know Um, we have like sex stuff to talk about, but my favorite part of this bio is the Coney Island thing with the fire eating and the snake handling. And and I can speak from personal experience that I have seen Barbara play with fire stuff and it's pretty amazing. So I would love to hear like how you got involved in that. Sure. Um, I uh, have always been fascinated with sideshows. I love freaks both born and made. And sideshow freaks in the modern world are are learned freaks, people who learn to be freaks, um, as opposed to years ago when it was predominated by people who were born so-called freaks. Anyway, Coney Island has had a sideshow slash freak show uh, for I don't know how many years, and several years ago, many now, I think it's over a decade, uh, I saw an ad for their sideshow school, and they promised that they'd teach me everything that I watched these people do in the sideshow, like um, the the bed of nails, and then you lie down with a brick on your stomach, and they break You've done the that? brick. Yep, yep. I learned how to do that. And uh, Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> What's the secret? Uh, are you allowed to tell us? How far apart the nails are spaced. So if they're very close, it's fine? Yep. Mm, how to walk okay. on broken glass without getting cut. How to hammer a nail into your nose. i hearing the squidge factor on that one through the airway. Um, but actually, it's easy. There's a space there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fire eating, fire spitting. Um, snake handling. You read that one. which. We know a lot about snake handling on this podcast. See? See? So we need not go into the details of that. (laughs) Sounds like it really prepared you for your work in uh, sex education. (laughs) Yes. The only thing that I bowed out of, um, well, two things actually. There are uh, animal trap routines, but they gross me out because animal traps. And um, I have a gag reflex from hell. So um, 
which is why my erotic massage classes are why I teach erotic massage classes instead of blowjob classes, by the way. Um, but so I did not do sword swallowing. I just went, no, 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 no. Um, but everything else I learned how to do and probably a few I've forgotten. And it was one of the coolest experiences of my life. And I'm so pro show school. I just, it's in all my bios because I want to give them a shout out. Um, how old were you, were you, when you decided to do this? Uh, about 50. <laughs> That's incredible. Were, were the other members of your class in the same age bracket? No. And they were totally cool people. They, they averaged Love around it. 22 to 30, I guess. No, obviously you're very intrepid, <laughs> which is why we're excited to talk well, to you today. A la Joan Price, it's never too late to learn something new. That's right. Um, so That's now that right. we've heard about your amazing sideshow experience, which uh, personally I would love to hear more about, but I know we have other things to talk about. Um, <laughs> they want to know about the fucking. Yeah. As Simone was doing the intro, I found myself being like, is it Tantra or Tantra? Or am I just it like very New York tantra. Jew? It tends to be Tantra in the United States. And it tends to be Tantra in Australia and Down Europe and the UK tantra. go back and forth. Got it. So this is not one of my specialties. Um, I would love if you could break it down for our listeners. Like, I feel like whenever I hear that word, I just think of like, oh, Kama Sutra and breath work. But I like really don't know what all it entails. There's Tantra and there's Tantric sex. Anybody practicing Tantra um in the united states or in the kind of what we refer to as the western world is probably practicing some stripe of neo tantra which is to say tantra for our time space continuum uh, this is not 6th century india we are not natively hindus um when Tantra originally sprung up, it, 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 it's a vast subject. It is everything from written texts of practices to, to actual physical practices. A small portion of Tantric practice, depending on the tradition, involves sex. What Tantra is truly about is, is self-knowledge, growth, and enlightenment. Define that as you will. Each sect would have defined it as they would at the time. Tantra would go in and out of favor over history. It's always been a somewhat radical practice, uh, some sects more radical than others, and uh, was shoved underground for its survival uh, numerous times. One of the reasons we don't know exactly what Tantra is, where we can't open the Bible of Tantra, so to speak, is because it, because it kept being shoved underground for being ra too radical, politically as well as spiritually. It was primarily an oral tra tradition, and as in the Hindu tradition, um, which is the culture it started in, obviously, um, it was a guru-disciple kind of transmission, and often... Things were not written down, and if they were, they were left untranslated. So there are scholars who know quite a bit about Tantra, and no matter how much they know, there's still a vast amount we don't know. Now, that's Tantra. <laughs> then there's also Tantric sex. I feel like I need, and I appreciate the broad 
cultural, sociological, and historical overview. But I just need like a definition. A practice dedicated to the freeing and enlightenment and heart-based knowledge of its practitioner and the practitioners around them. That's today's definition. I come up with a different one every time. It is a a heart-based practice. It is a practice of both of, of, it's like a yoga in the sense of it's a doing practice. Tantra is like jumping into an experience, any earth-based experience, diving into the fire of it or the briars of it, and walking through it till you know it so well that you, in fact, transcend it and come out on the other side changed and on to and ready for the next knowing, the next lesson, the next knowing. I know it all sounds very woo, which is why you have to practice it and talking about it's kind of useless. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm, so I'm now- into the woo. <laughs> and I can say that I took, and we'll talk about this later, but I took a, a brief breath class uh, with Barbara at a recent um, retreat that we were both at. And it really inspired me to do more. It, it, well, I want to hear about that. Contra later. opens you so up excited. to possibilities you never knew existed for you on all levels. It opens you up to the depth of the real meaning of being alive and on the planet. Uh, Tantra is not interested in the, ne- in the next, it, what happens after you die from this lifetime. Tantra is interested in how enlightened you can become from just being here and walking around. And one really of the like ways that. that you can go into the realm of pure possibility and radical transformation is through the power of sex, which of course is one of the reasons that people in power in various cultures don't like sex. Because if you are fueled by the knowingness of your own sexual energy, you don't need them. So, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Love and it. That's not just true about Tantra. That's true about every, every um, you know, pr- every religious practice that sublimates sexuality is essentially trying to keep you from your own self-knowledge. And Tantra's quite the opposite. It's saying, please go there. (laughs) Please go there. Please know yourself more, and you will know everything else more. You will know more about connection. You will know more about what power really means. You'll know more about what connection to all that is really means. Because you just watched me try to tell you, but when I explained how sexuality, for example, and you could have picked dog walking, by the way, because you can pick anything in life. We just happen to be talking about sex. When you plug into, oh, yeah, those moments in sex that have been completely transformative, where I've hit some real knowledge of myself. Some people, by the way, find it through um, psychedelic drugs, for example. It's not dissimilar. I wonder why people, when they hear Tantra, they go straight for tantric sex as opposed to thinking of the other, like, mindful, present ways of being. My theory on that is that we are so fucking starved (laughs) for a spiritual practice that will contain our sexuality 
or a spiritual practice mm. that embraces our se- sexuality, that we will turn to the very few we can find and glom only onto that aspect because it's so lacking everywhere else. And that used to really piss me off that people were not interested in um, the other aspects of Tantra. And I finally went, boy, that's judgmental, Barbara. Get off that high horse, please. Because Tantra has always changed to fit the needs of the particular period in which it has, you know, blossomed. It has never been the same everywhere at all times. And it is serving a hugely important need right now. So let's embrace that need need and move forward with it. And um, let's take our purity panties off, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Purity panties. I I love learning about different cultures and sex all around the world. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if people have pushed back and saying like, well, this is cultural appropriation. It's not done right. Cause if we maybe think of like other spiritual practices in other cultures, um, some folks like aren't supposed to do them if you're not a part of that culture. Like, I wonder, does that fit in at all here? Um, I've heard it argued both ways. Um, I, the side I tend to come down on is, um, Tantra can be done with a lot of, Artifacts, if that's the word, that appear to borrow from uh, Hindu culture, about which I know next to nothing because I didn't grow up there and it's an incredibly complex culture. Um, However, I do think that there are essential truths that transcend the culture that they were originally first seen in. And tantric practices uh, have been around for thousands of years. They may not have been called tantra, but I went on a fascinating tour of the Metropolitan Museum with Rebecca Chalker, the author of The Clitoral Truth. And she took us on a essentially a tantric uh, tour of the Met Museum showing us bits of ancient cultures that appear to have been very much aligned with what I call Tantra, meaning it didn't all start in India per se. There are bits of it that started in China. Bits of it have been found in older cultures throughout history. So I fall down on the side of trying to find the essence of a practice, whether it's a Buddhist practice, a Christian practice, a Jewish practice, and going, what does that do for people? And trying to make it accessible to help people now. So you've mentioned like seeing examples of tantric practices in sex and in other things. What are some? Like, how do you know? How do you notice that someone's doing it's, like a tantric it was, practice? It was especially in, in, when I it am not Rebecca with it. her historical um, um, abilities. Trust me. Um, but it was the, in this case, because it was visual art or sculptural art, it was art in which gender norms were not patriarchal, uh, where, where there, where there seemed to be a strong matriarchal lineage, where there were depictions, even scraps of them 
of sexual practices or spiritual practices or both like sexual practices on a temple that had a great mm. deal of variety. And again, where they were placed, like on a temple as opposed to in a brothel, <laughs> you know, that make you go, mm, something was different here. And those mm -hmm. people with more his historical acumen than mine, than I have, um, are able to piece those together and see trails of narratives that link up cross-culturally. I am not that person, but Rebecca Chalker is. She might be a good interview. <laughs> we'll, we'll reach out to her for the logistics of that. But when, when I think of tantric sex, um, I think of like two people having sex for a really long time and it's multi-orgasmic and there's a lot of breathing. Um, how accurate is that stereotype and like what role does breath actually play in, in well, your practice? In, you know, you're, you're, you've certainly got one of the bits and pieces. You've certainly got, you know, in the tantric universe, what you've described certainly belongs there, but it's a tiny piece of it. The in, in, mm -hmm. in tantric sex and in Taoist sexuality as well, which is a branch of Chinese medicine, and the two have overlapped for centuries, um, the energy of sex is as important, and in some cases more, than the physical aspect of sex. In other words, the touch part of sex, the genitals rubbing together part of sex, is just one piece of the whole bigger erotic energetic picture. One of the things that um, amazed me when I first started studying tantric practices, tantric sex practices, was how breath, imagination in the sense of using one's imagination to move energy. I'm not going to say see the energy or hear the energy or feel the energy because everybody does it differently. That's why I'm using the word imagine. But if you can imagine um, energy moving around a room, if you can imagine energy wrapping yourself in your own erotic energy like an egg, if you can imagine that energy moving between two people. Have you heard of chakras? We'll do them for a second. Okay. Chakras. Yeah. Uh, again, the simplified easy but working version, seven major chakras, energy, their energy centers situated slightly outside the body at perineum, lower belly, solar plexus, heart, throat, third eye, forehead, and crown. Okay. If you line up chakras by sitting across from someone, there's already a connection. If you breathe with them, there's more of a connection. If you eye gaze with them, you've established a third connection. If you then touch their heart and they touch yours, you've established a fourth connection. If you then put on top of those intention, which is the intention to raise erotic energy, and put all those energetic techniques together with intention, you can go into an ecstatic state with another person with your clothes on and with your genitals not touching. Now, what does that tell us about? How are you defining ecstatic state? Ecstatic state, a heightened state where, what's, what does it feel like after an orgasm? A really, 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 really good orgasm after, the after any touch has happened. Uh, for me, it's like bliss, bliss feeling, right. blissed out. 
um, relaxed, but also mm -hmm. um, glowy, excited. Yeah. Glowy and also like tired <laughs> and also hungry, hungry for another one. Okay. And what if uh, you knew that your breath could keep that state, not so much of the tired, but everything before that, uh, going and going and going into an expanded orgasmic-like state. I have an expanded definition of orgasm, so we're going to touch on that in two seconds. But it's a bigger... I mean, that sounds good. I'm always sad when that feeling kind of washes over and then is done. So I've actually, I've actually had a lover and who who when I when I come a lot of times I, I like hold in breath and then when I come I've done this before on the show I go like yeah <laughs> right and I had a lover who was like don't just breathe just keep breathing normally just keep breathing normally and so I was just like and just like really focusing on my breath maybe it was in like an ujjayi breath and I just like it was so intense there you and go. continued for so long, but it's so hard right. to do that. So there well. you go. And it really does help to have a, a support person around or a support group around, by the way. But <laughs> okay. Um, it was a group. It was two people. I, I just had to. <laughs> well, not everyone, not everyone has the opportunity to do it in like a, a 50 person group setting. Like I had the opportunity <laughs> to do with you somewhat recently. Um, but well, I wish everyone you know, had that large amount of support group. Is but to create places where people can breathe, I, not necessarily with their clothes off. It doesn't have to be, you know, sexual looking um, to start experimenting with those states. When I wrote my book, Ecstasy is Necessary, I wanted to dive into what an ecstatic experience was. Simone, to, 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 specifically to your question, what's ecstasy? I wanted a word that wasn't orgasm because orgasm has gotten co-opted by people who want to make us believe we haven't had the right one. We haven't had a long enough one. We haven't had mm -hmm. one at all. We haven't, uh, whatever. We didn't get there the right way. And I wanted to expand because my definition of orgasm is an expanded ecstatic state connecting us through mind, body, and spirit to all that is. It's a lot bigger than just something mm -hmm. that happens in my genitals. And I was really pissed off and still am at people who are told that they are less than because they're not having mind-blowing genital sex. And... Yeah. How do we convince people that the other kinds of ecstasy are just as good as the, the hierarchy, hierarchy of this good better word. orgasm? I started my, I did one of my highly unscientific Facebook polls, and I asked people what kind of ecstatic orgasmic experiences had they have? Because remember, not all orgasms are the ones Simone and I were just talking about, right? Some orgasms are little, tiny, quiet blissgasms, and they're great too. So I asked people what, who, what kinds of experiences they had had with orgasms or ecstatic states that did not involve sex or genitals. And of all the questions I've ever asked in my highly unscientific polls, this one got hundreds, the most answers ever. And 
There was everything from food. That was what I was thinking of. I was thinking of the first time I had Kalbi Korean short rib that was like so, it was like high quality at Parks BBQ in in LA, which is so fucking expensive, but it like is so good and it just like melts in your mouth and fuck. Yeah, right? (sighs) Some people got it making art or music. Some people got it um, at 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 a political demonstration. So um, it, it was it was it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable the number of ecstatic experiences people had had um, in ways that were not sex. And what I was trying to get people to see is that they, if they allowed themselves to go into these experiences as if they were sex, that totally with that kind of commitment, like you did at your Korean barbecue place, obviously. And just got lost in that mm. rib, you would have a series of ecstatic experiences based on your favorite turn-ons. And that life would be orgasmic, even though it might not be sexual. Oh, yeah. I call it a, a soul boner. Ooh. That's so gorgeous. soul boner to me is like when I get really I forgot which one of my friends made it up, but Whoa. it's the best term ever. Oh. And I think to me, it's like when you're so excited about something, whether that be an event or you're like overwhelmed by the beauty of nature and you just feel this like excitement inside that you can't contain mm-hmm. and like everything just mm-hmm. feels right. That's a soul boner. That's that's it. I feel like I'm almost constantly soul hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a fucking so I'm like a fucking like tumescent 12-year-old boy then. <laughs> but I mean clearly we're all walking around breathing all the time otherwise we would die. So clearly not all breaths are the same and there are better <laughs> right. kinds of breathing. So like different kinds. Mostly there's mostly there's just more breathing. More breathing. Right. So what's the difference between like someone just, you know, walking down the street kind of unaware and automatically breathing versus the kind of breath work that creates ecstatic experiences? Let's go to let's go back to the Korean rib. Uh, oh my so, god, uh, stop making me so, so fucking much. wet. <laughs> now <laughs> now Simone could have eaten that rib while being actually more interested in her phone or the person she was with, or the amount of alcohol she was drinking, or on racing to whatever event she was doing right after dinner. But she didn't. She chose to focus on this amazing rib. And by going into that rib, so the taste and the texture and every smell of that rib so consciously, she took herself into an ecstatic place. So what was the secret sauce here? Consciousness, Mm. awareness, being in the moment. So if you breathe with the simple intention of staying focused on your breath and not stopping breathing, which we do all the time, um, you can breathe yourself into an ecstatic state just by that. Now, in my quest for the perfect ecstatic breath experience, My friend Chester and I, we talked together for many years. We experimented with hundreds of ways to breathe and carefully cataloged the differences in ourselves and in our friends to see what worked and what didn't and what 
reaction, what kind of breath produced, and was it pleasant, was it unpleasant, blah, blah, blah. But one day I was, I was doing holotropic breath work for the first time, Google it, people, H-O-L-O-tropic breath work. Well, it's, it's a breath work that was, in, what was invented. Is that the right word? Can you invent a breath? It's a breathing process that was invented by Stanislav Grof when LSD was outlawed. He's a, he was a, a psychiatrist. And he wanted a, this. He wanted to be able to have. He invented a breathwork to replace the fact that he couldn't use psychedelic drugs anymore to help people through difficult things. And now, holotropic breathwork basically is you breathe for three hours. There's a support person next to you and your partner, and you breathe for three hours. There's a ramping up. There's a plateau, and then there's a coming down. Now, you might have a tremendous healing, you might have a great cry, you might take an ecstatic journey through the portals of the universe. The latter was my experience. And I, when, when we, I was about to start breathing, I'm like, oh my God, I am going to learn the secret to breath like I've never learned it before. There must be some really special breath to, make you, to get you to these places. I'm going to learn what it is. I'm so excited. And what did Stanislav Grof say? He said, okay, lie down, get comfortable, relax your jaw, and, you know, and, and just breathe a little more fully and deeply than you usually and do. And nose breaths or mouth. One of the things you taught me when I took the class with you was that like breathing in and out through your nose is a calming breath and breathing in and out through your mouth is an excitable breath. Yep. And en an energizing breath is through the mouth. A relaxing breath is through the nose. You know, I bet some people, if they breathed in and out through their nose a little more fully and deeply than they usually did, would probably also get there too. But yes. But the point is, you don't have to know a fancy breath. You don't have to do the eight years of studying esoteric breathing that I did. If you just know that mouth breathing is energizing and nose breathing is, is more calming, and you just figure out a way to breathe for yourself that helps you to breathe a bit more fully and easily than you usually do, and you keep breathing, you will take yourself into a really nice feeling place, a transformative feeling place. I can describe what mine was like when you guided us. Go for it. So I got to do a little minuscule version of this um, when I met the amazing Barbara at uh, Betty Dodson's 90th birthday, which was so wonderful. Thank you, Ashley Manta, for the invitation. Um, but basically, we went to this retreat center in upstate New York called Menla, and the breath work was like a huge circle of amazing women. And basically, from what I remember, Barbara was just guiding us in what kinds of breathing to do. So I think sometimes we were doing just in and out through the nose, and then just in and out through the mouth, and then just like breathing deeply and fully. Um, and it was wild because I wasn't really paying attention to the people around, but I could sort of like hear a little bit, like some people were like crying, some people were laughing, um, some people were totally silent. But what happened for me, um, my whole body felt uh, tingly, um, like my hands sort of like, my hands and my arms kind of contorted like they were being... Um, like low level, not electrocuted, but like those things that the physical therapist that like make your nerves kind of jolt and jump. Yeah. Um, so that was happening with like all my extremities. Um, my body was warm. 
Um, and then I remember like wanting to open my eyes for a second and like look behind me through this window and the trees were moving and I started waving to the trees like we were having a fucking conversation <laughs> because we were having a conversation. And um, then I like just laughed and smiled. And I think going into it, I thought that like breath orgasm, that I would like feel an orgasm in my genitals the way that I know an orgasm to feel like, but this was more like a full body, um, electric high, uh, that lasted for a long time after. I get the holotropic or holotropic thing. Like, it sounds like you were having like a psychedelic experience based on what I just, based on what you described. Yeah. Because the trees the waving actually does change your consciousness. It's a whole lot more oxygen than your brain is used to. A full body, wait a minute, I got to stop on what you said, a full body electric, what was it? Orgasm? I don't even anyway. know. Full body, yeah, just, just full, full body, body electricity. It's just great. And um, the, the breath just, yes, the chemistry, the chemical, all that blood changes the chemistry of your brain. And you do, you are in an altered state of consciousness. You're absolutely right. And there's also an emotional component, both to holotropic breath work and to this, depending on the state you're in that day. And it can lead often in uh, sex, the way we're told that we're supposed to be experiencing it in the culture, emotions are actually repressed, even though people would say, oh, no, it's all about love. But the, the real intense emotions of, of, of intense joy or sadness or anger or any combination of the above are actually not encouraged. If you laugh too hard during orgasm or burst into sobs or scream, somebody's going to be going like, oh my God, are you fucking nuts? What's the matter with you? What did I do? I'm out of here. And we're conditioned to sort of tamp down what erotic energy can do for our emotional body. And in the process that Nicoletta was just describing, my philosophy is let's go into the totality of possibilities of the emotional expression you might feel. And often when that happens, you leave the experience just like you do a crygasm or a gigglegasm or a angergasm with sex feeling cleansed and revitalized and empty and ready to start again. Wilhelm Reich, who, who um, the sex positive uh, psychoanalysis analysis, uh, who was jailed for his, his sexual theories, jailed in America for his sexual theories and his orgone machine. He was the one who, um, who said that, he believed orgasm was the body's natural reset system, but he didn't mean little hiccupy orgasms. He meant really full orgasms. And today we might say it's the restart button on your computer. Uh, it Everything is just fresh and clear and sparkly again after a reset. And that's what orgasm can do for us if we can go into orgasm totally. So you're probably hearing this strain come through this conversation about Tantra and going into experiences with totality. So how do you help convince, I don't want to say convince, that sounds 
rapey. How do you, how do you, coerce. yeah, coerce. Coerce. how do you force somebody? No, how do you allow and leave the door open for somebody to feel safe and like vulnerable enough to even go into that work or express that? Cause clearly like I was going in and feeling open about it, but some people are like, Oh, nothing happened for me. I couldn't do it. I guess I'm thinking of past partners I've been with who, when we're having sex, they feel in the moment. And then as soon as they orgasm, they're like up and gone. Um, they're like totally disembodied and like really out of it. Um, and like, how do we help people stay open to these longer, more embodied possibilities? With the example you just gave, I like explaining the afterglow of orgasms as like a meditation. And as you may have noticed uh, the, at Betty Dodson's retreat that you were just describing, I left a whole period after we were breathing, when we had stopped breathing, that was just with some gentle music playing and just the instruction was just to lie there. Um, and most people did. Some permission to just go inside and not have to relate to anybody, but just kind of be. And if all you get out of it's a nap, that's fine. And I sometimes see the people that sex or breath and energy orgasms or any ecstatic experience, the real, one of the big values in them is that we all live under a ceiling, under a ceiling of limited possibilities. Now that ceiling might be a foot above our head or it might be 500 feet above our head, but there's a ceiling there of our beliefs about what is possible. Like this is possible, but that isn't. And we don't even know where our limited limitation, belief in limitation is much of the time until we smack into the ceiling. Mm. This kind of work, this kind of erotic work, this kind of breath orgasm work, lifts the ceiling of possibilities. It expands what the metaphysical teacher Louise Hay would call our totality of possibilities. And that is the... That is more than anything the reason why I go around the world teaching this stuff is watching people's glass ceilings of limitation shatter and watching them realize that there is something bigger to all of this and more mysterious and they are in connection with something far greater than they imagined. For example, your, your experience chatting with the trees. <laughs> yes. Not a, not it was a connection. Real. Yes, exactly. And suddenly. The only other time a, I've had that experience is when I did shrooms. Yeah. So, so you realize that, you know, the truth of the matter is you have a real, you know, it's the way the universe is structured. You have a relationship with those trees, with nature that you're usually unaware of. That's true. But, Nicoletta really does does have intense reactions to nature. Um, but one of the really exciting things is my understanding is so if you're not as lucky as Nicoletta and getting to have this um, ex this guided or breath work, it, you have a like an MP3 available of it, right? I do because people were like um, some people were shy, just as Nicoletta just described, and learned the technique in a group but were shy to go all the way there and wanted to be able to do it at home. So I made an MP3 
breath and energy orgasms, a guided meditation. And I take you from the very beginning to the very end, plus the meditation. And you can do it at home with your headphones on and no one needs to know. (laughs) Maybe I'll give it a whirl. And uh, it's available on my website, barbaracarellis.com. Oh, that's so exciting. Books and MP3s. Um, So just check it out. That's so cool. I want to kind of move to a different topic, but still within the realm of like understanding Tantra. Because I know, or it seems that a lot of Tantra is uh, touch related. Um, And one of the really interesting things that I found when researching you was your documentary called Transcendent Bodies, The Erotic Awakening Massage for Trans and Gender Nonconforming Bodies. And I only got to see the trailer, but I'm so curious what that is and if you could explain a little bit more about what that process is and what the intention is behind it sure um i'm really i'm i'm really proud of that video um i created that video i I have done uh practiced erotic awakening massage my term for it for a long time since i first met and worked with joseph kramer during the days of aids and uh, where we were looking for a way for people to have ecstatic and healing erotic experiences without passing a virus and with a spiritual component. And so this work came out of that. In the video that you are describing, and I've taught this erotic massage technique to, I don't even know how many people all over the world for close to three decades. And with the colleagues in my urban tantra professional training program which um uh, has a significant uh gender non-conforming population um they wanted to have a version of it for people who were trans and gender non-conforming and an erotic massage process breath focused that would uh, allow trans and gender nonconforming people to rediscover their eroticism, which, of course, and naturally had shifted and changed as they had changed or allowed to change their gender expression. And so that's what we did. Mm. And it's so a process how that's does com- erotic. It's completely driven by the person receiving. There's a giver and a receiver. And when I'm giving an, uh, an erotic massage, I am simply providing what they have asked for. Um, they are saying, this is how my body works right now or how it thinks it works. This is what I think I like. Please, you can touch here, but please don't touch there. And we start breathing and then we start doing some very specific erotic touch as they have asked. And what would be an example of that? um, My breasts are new, so they're very sensitive. That might be Mm. from a trans woman or from a a trans, in in the video, a gender queer shapeshifter said, I believe, or at least have said to me, uh, treat uh, the upper part of my body, even though it may look like there are breasts there, please treat that like a chest. Um, and somebody may say, that's my clit. I know it, uh, it's just an Audi or, um, uh, 
some other, uh, you know, I have different, I have, these are what I name my bits or please don't touch mm. this part of my bits because it triggers gender dysphoria. And we mm. just walk through it and we see what they get to see what works. So that sounds like not only a really wonderful sensory experience to be the receiver in that space, but it also sounds like a wonderful exercise in communicating that information, because I think that can be really challenging um, with partners and lovers, especially as your gender evolves and or your even just your sexual preferences and your sexuality evolves, that real importance of being able to say, I would like this. I do not want this. Um, I'd like to try this. So that also seems like an incredible stop. I hate it without that being a thing. Right. So you can try out what it feels like to communicate without being afraid of, you know, repercussions or disappointment from your lover, which would not be, in my opinion, acceptable, but still would like feel really shitty to be on the receiving end regardless. And what was really funny about it is because it was, this was very much geared to the needs, wants, desires, preferences of, of, of a trans and gender nonconforming community. And when we finished it and, and we had put it a little bit out into the world, we stood back and went, oh my God, we've just created the erotic awakening massage for everybody. <laughs> and because before yeah. it had been divided into people with pussies and people with penises, which was the step up from saying men and women. But now, it, but it's sort of like, but the video is, is absolutely dedicated uh, to, to trans and gender nonconforming uh, eroticism. And so thank you for mentioning it because my, my intention in making it, and jo- Joseph Kramer of Sexological Body Work, his, uh, Joseph and, and Carol Lee edited it. So it's really kind of a co-production between all of us. And our joint intention in the world is to just get the information out there to people who will benefit mm. from it. It was our sole intention in making it. So it's available, uh, again, on my website. You can just find it and go link to it. It has just, uh, it's on Joseph Kramer's we- website and it is also on Pink Label TV. But just go to my website and it'll take you there. Well, as we start to sort of wrap up, I, Firstly, I want people to like buy your stuff and support you. So I obviously know you're not going to like give it all away for free, uh, which is good to know your price. But I wonder if there are a few starting techniques that you could maybe share with us and our listeners about how to begin this journey of just day-to-day ecstatic experiences, whether it be eating or, you know, walking down the street or walking your dog, whatever. Um. The two that spring to mind right now is do a, a masturbation meditation. And, and this technique, by the way, isn't mine. It was, it was written by Mar, uh, Margot Woods, and it's from a, a long out-of-print book from the 1980s. But I love this. Um, masturbate however you like to masturbate. And just before you orgasm, in, oh, you're breathing, by the way, conscious breathing, conscious breathing, conscious breathing. You make sure you keep breathing right up to the edge of orgasm. And you're just about to orgasm. And instead of orgasming in your genitals, stop touching your genitals and breathe the orgasm into your heart. And then meditate for a moment or two. Then do it again. Masturbate, masturbate, get almost to the edge of orgasm. Stop and breathe it into your heart. Same thing, meditate a moment or two. Third time, get up to the edge of orgasm and go for it. 
orgasm with your genitals and breathe it up to your heart and have a heartgasm as well. And then lie there mm. and just notice, just witness. And another one is, is to take it away from, from sex, to just be able to practice this with uh, other things. Uh, find something like maybe, maybe you love the ocean, for example, or those Korean ribs and <laughs> go to the ocean with the sim simple intention of just breathing with the ocean and imagine exchanging energy with the ocean. You could, you know, imagine the ocean coming in through your genitals. You could take it in through your heart. You could kind of imagine swirling it around you, but get into some sort of focused breath-based erotic relationship with whatever it is you're focusing on. And make sure you've got consent. Oceans and things in trees tend to give you consent pretty easily, but you know. Um, uh, Those slutty trees. You know, ask first. And and have, uh, now we're going into the Annie Sprinkle, Beth Stevens eco-sexuality realm. And that's another good interview. Um, and, uh, you know, get to just practice, even if you feel a little silly. Uh, a breath and energy exchange with some part of nature. And it's just, just try it. Just try it. See what happens. 10 minutes. I, I mean, like having homework. I'm telling you, like, it, whether it's, I think we have some listeners who, who like the woo-woo and some who, uh, you know, want more of the science, whatever stuff. But I can definitely, like, tell you in a recent one for myself, um, I just moved to a new apartment and I have these plants and one of them that's sitting next to me right now was like really struggling because I had to repot it mm. and like I thought it was on the way to death and I've literally just been like talking to it um, and like trying to give it energy and it's like doing much better. Send it an orgasm. <laughs> I'm telling you like Simone is laughing at me but like fuck it. I don't know. My partner laughs at me and I'm like talking to my plants and now I got him doing it too. Uh, mostly I think he's being sarcastic, but whatever it's, it's working. Send the plant an orgasm. Stroke I'm serious. In a particular way. They will. Okay. I will send my next orgasm to this it, plant. You know, uh, in, uh, in my book, ecstasy is necessary. There's a story about a breath and energy orgasm and an fMRI machine. I believe if it's still on my website wow. for free. So just the science people can go read that. Um, it is just a matter of time before science proves um, what re what meditative, religious, and orgasmic sexual uh, experience in the brain is all about, and also proves connections between the natural world and humans, as if we aren't part of the fucking natural world, please. We just haven't aimed our science dollars on things that don't make money. I mean, you can obviously give some like qualitative subjective examples of like how this has impacted your life. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it, it is. My life is completely different than it would have been had I not in the middle of the AIDS crisis decided to try to do things another way. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, regarding that whole money-making thing, if we really confirm the ability to do tree fucking, then, you know, the Forestry Service would have the biggest brothel on their hands. Hey, it, 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 it might, if we could get people to actually have an erotic relationship with trees, we might stop burning them down. 
or cutting them down. I agree. I'm actually reading this really interesting novel by Richard Powers, which is has terrible, terrible, terrible female characters in it. It's like truly atrocious. But the whole thing is about like trees being alive and communicating and like you can communicate with humans and trees. It's pretty interesting. Anyway. Totality of <laughs> See, you are on my side. <laughs> no, there are totally possibilities. <laughs> Oh, God, I'm so sad we have to stop talking to you, Barbara. Yeah, but you know what? We'll just keep breathing so that we can hold on to this good feeling of talking to Barbara for hours to come. Yeah, I mean, I did have like one tantric experience that I've just been thinking of since we've been having this conversation is um, like a while ago, I guess like five years now ago, I was dating... I was dating this guy and one he was like, oh, I know about Tantra and stuff. And I was like, whatever, I don't really care. And then one time we were like naked and I don't know, I don't know if there was penetration involved, but we were naked and like sitting on lap with like legs wrapped around, right? And he, we just like, actually I've done this with other people too, but just like when you breathe into each other's mouths for a really mm-hmm. long time. Yes. That is such an amazing experience, which actually I have done with like people that I cared about even more. And that was a truly transcendental experience yep. for sure. That's Tantra. In part because you're probably depriving yourself of oxygen and just inhaling carbon dioxide. But the connection is out there. <laughs> the connection is out there. <laughs> truly. Truly. Hey, whatever works. No, I I just, I just. But Barbara, thank you so fucking much for joining us. So We've already talked well, about yeah. your website, barbaracarellis.com. Uh, which you can easily find. Are you on the social meds? I am. I'm Urban Tantrika. Urban and then T-A-N-T-R-I-K-A on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, Barbara Corellis Urban Tantra. Oh, amazing. Thank you so fucking much Thank for joining you. us. I'm, I really am kind of riding this ecstatic wave. I really am feeling it, oh. especially like all that affirmation of my sexual short rib experience. Yes. But if you want to keep up to date with everything that we're doing, you can follow us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. If you want us to keep bringing you these high quality, amazing guests and fascinating episodes, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash sluts and scholars. And a free thing you can do to really help us out is by leaving a rating and review, especially on iTunes, but wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.